used to live in the same building on the same floor and never met before until I'm overseas on tour and peep this Ethiopian queen from Philly taking classes abroad. Yo, what's up, people? Coming in on a nice chill tip this week. Okay, so let's get to the uh, UK top 10 box office for the weekend of the 28th to the 30th of June. Okay, so at number 10, X Men Dark Phoenix. At number 9, it's The Secret Life of Pets 2. At number 11, sorry, at number 8, is Apollo 11. Just got those numbers mixed up. At number 7, Rocket Man. And there's a little Rocket Man um, incentive that I'll let you know about later on. At number 6, it's the uh, re-released Avengers Endgame. At number 5, Secret Cinema doing their Casino Royale thing. At number four, Men in Black International. At number three, Aladdin. At number two, the new Danny Boyle film, Yesterday. And of course, at number one, Toy Story 4. So Disney, they're doing all right this week in the top ten, right? (laughs) Okay, so... um. Yeah, this week, just got one review, but we've got an interview. So, a little funness to look forward to. Yup, yup. Okay, before we get to the review and interview, as promised, here's a little Rocket Man news for you. Okay, so, Paramount Pictures UK are partnered with Picture House, Empire, and Cineworld Cinemas to offer two-for-one Rocketman tickets from the 5th to the 7th of July to share the Pride during Pride in London. All you need to do is head to seeitfirst.com and enter the code PRIDE19 to book your tickets. Um, Rocketman is based on a true fantasy It's an epic musical fantasy About the incredible human story Of Elton John's breakthrough years The film follows the fantastical journey Of transformation from shy piano prodigy Reginald Dwight Into international superstar Elton John. This inspirational story set to Elton John's most beloved songs and performed by star Taron Egerton tells the universally relatable story of how a small town boy became one of the most iconic figures in pop culture. Rocketman also stars Jamie Bell as Elton's longtime lyricist and writing partner Bernie Tapin, Richard Madden as Elton's first manager, John Reed, and Bryce Dallin, Dallas Howard as Elton's mother, Sheila Fairbrother. Um, yeah. So um, you know the info, like the link 
links and the code are put into um, the episode details for uh, for um, this episode, you know. But um, yeah, you know, celebrations in New York last weekend and London this coming weekend marked the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising and half a century of LGBTQIA plus liberation. London will come alive with colour um, this Saturday the 6th of July as more than 300 groups, floats and over a million marchers travel from Portland Place down Oxford Street and through to Trafalgar Square. Paramount Pictures UK are inviting cinema goers to join in on the party and share the pride by offering two for one tri- trip to see Rocket Man for limited time only. So, yeah, if you've been, you know, hoping to see the film, you haven't got round for it. This is your perfect opportunity to see it and have a little pride celebration too. So you can't ask for better than that, right? All right, now let's get to um, this week's review and a little interview. Okay, so For Love or Money is the new film from uh, director Mark Murphy, who... um, also wrote it along with Sabrina Lepage. Now the film stars um, Robert Kaczynski, Samantha Barks, Rachel Hurd Wood, Ed Spellers, and Tom Way. Um, the general gist of the film is um, is this? It follows Mark. And life is sweet, or so you might think if you were in Mark's shoes. He's about to make 20 million on a business deal that keep that he's kept secret from everyone, even his best friend Tim. To add to his luck, a chance encounter at a funeral has given him another shot with the love of his life, Connie. The two fall head over heels in love and not long after get engaged. Two problems though. First, Connie doesn't genuinely love him. And second, his belief that no one knows about his impeding success and wealth is, well, in fact incorrect. An old classmate, Johnny, knows everything and encourages Connie to marry Mark after stumbling upon some incriminating texts Mark discovers their plan to rob him of half his impending fortune refusing to be made the fool Mark quickly puts a plan into action with the help of Tim and Connie's ex-BFF Kendra he embarks on a mission to see just how far the devious pair are willing to go to get their hands on that money. Yes, indeed. Definitely, um, 
doesn't sound like a romantic comedy, right? And um, that's the big thing. So it's it's being sold as an unro an unromantic comedy. Um, so you know, so we 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 have yeah the the idea of um, you know th this this ch encounter with someone that like Mark's been in love with for ages. Like we we see and the early kind of declaration of love when he was a kid and then we jump to the funeral um you do wonder why he's actually at the funeral but you know that's fine so he's at the funeral and that's when everything kind of starts moving along and um i think some of the, um, I think, the mechanisms to put things in place are, I don't know, I think we'd probably have to say extremely far-fetched, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, extremely far-fetched, but that's fine, you know, you, you're not expecting Shakespeare with, with um, you know, a romantic comedy, essentially, right? So now we're in this situation, and yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. I think it would because it kind of skips over the early days of the relationship. So we see the relation, we see them um, on a disastrous first day, and then it, we kind of jump forward a few months. So we jump forward a few months. Well, I think we jump forward a month or so. And then we jump forward another month for for them getting engaged. And I do think it would have been good to see some of the early um inter early interactions. Because, you know, Connie is trying to sell this thing to Mark. Right? So I think we I, we need to believe that she has done an incredible job, you know, an incredible job of making Mark believe that she's the one, he's madly in love, and all of that. Because what we see, we just kind of see him, I think, like... You know, when they move in, she's got all her stuff and she gets rid of his stuff. You know, that, that kind of stuff that's amusing. But it's a like, oh, we, we don't know how she's convinced him. How she's kind of fooled him for all this period of time. You know, it's because obviously that has happened. But, like, how did that happen? But, yeah, so we're in the relationship. He's got engaged with her. And, um, yeah, then suddenly the house of cards starts falling down. And, um, yeah, it, it's kind of a game now of what can be, what dastardly things can be done. And how, how many of them is she prepared to take for this cash? You know, because, um... 
as uh, you know, was when it comes to Connie, it seems she's down with the old woo adage. Cash rules everything around me. Cream hits the money. Dollar dollar bills, yo. Because uh yeah, like we we're now in a situation that seems very bitter. Very bitter and weird. But never gets questioned. Never gets questioned. Which is, you know, it's fine for the con construct of the film. You know, um, that's not really a thing. We, we do get some amusing interactions between Mark and Connie. That's fine. Um, I think one of the funniest bits is probably when um, they, they, they're at uh, Connie's parents' house. And you've got um, her mum and dad, who are played by Anna Chancellor and Ivan K. Um, Yeah, I I think that's um, a that's very there's 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 a scene with with them and Tim, and uh, yeah, that that's probably one of the best moments of the film, I have to say. It was it was funny. I mean, look, with, with something like this, it is very predictable. Look, you know exactly what's going to happen. Um, and there's always, you know, let's throw in some moral lessons. Like, um, I don't know. Like, you know, it's just like, well, revenge, you know, like revenge isn't helpful. And you, know, you should move on and blah, 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 blah. So we have all of this stuff that um you know that that's trying to tell a message and then you've got um mark being lonely and love and blah 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 blah, blah and all of that kind of stuff which is fine it's a little you know we, we've seen it before we've seen it before right um i i think that the film because like it's not uh, a ridiculously long film It's just over an hour and a half But I think it probably could be cut down a bit more And then We'll have a, a, a sharper film That That's kind of my my takeaway really That the film is fine But yeah, if 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 it was cut down a bit, it would be a bit sharper. And also, as I said, look, if, if we could get some idea of how Connie has kind of completely fooled Mark at the beginning, that would have been good. It's also a bit like, because we never understand what the relationship between um, Connie and Johnny is. Because we always, because, you know, Johnny's the one that's convinced Connie to do what, you know, to do this whole thing. And because what's been established is Connie was dating um, the guy at the, who died at, in, at the beginning in the funeral. So we, so we know that. But straight away, Johnny's at her place. So it's just like, oh. How do these two know? And then throughout the film, Johnny's trying to sleep with Connie. And every time, Connie's like, no, 
leave me alone, fuck off, I'm not going to sleep with you. But we don't know what their actual relationship is. So I think maybe making that clear. So I'd probably cut it down, add a little bit on how Connie's fooled Mark, add something to show us what that relationship between Connie and Johnny is. And then, then, you know, you've got a, a, a sharper film, I kind of feel. Um, but, yeah, if you're a fan of romantic comedies, I think this is... You'll get your your love. You you know I think you're uh, very much enjoy this one. It's um if you think of things like um the wedding ringer, the wedding video, you know like yeah stuff like that. I give it a year. If you're a fan of stuff like that. Then, yeah, I definitely think um, For the Love or Money is going to be, yeah, your thing. So, right, you can grab it on digital download from Monday, the 8th of July. Uh, It's going to be available at all your usual platforms. So, um yeah, go go um go pick it up. You know, it's the usual thing. So it'd be seven ninety-nine standard, nine ninety nine HD, and it's gonna be available at all the usual outlets. So that's the um that's for love or money and it's by Mark Murphy. <laughs> Okay, so I'm here with Mark Murphy, who is the writer and director of For Love or Money. So, Mark, thank you for your time. But I just want to try and clear one thing up, because when I was doing my due diligence, I say due diligence, I looked on IMBD, um, your film's also called The Revenger. What's that about, Mark? Okay, so that was the working title, the original title, it was The Revenger, an Unromantic Comedy. Um, and basically, when I pitched it to um, Alan Latham, who's, who's the producer, and I'd done my previous four or five films with him, um, he liked the story, he hated the title. And um, uh, we were, he, he literally just greenlit and said, yeah, I want to do it. Um, but look, uh, a, a, an exec producer of his called Stephen Nevins, uh, was about to meet him. He goes, let's get this Stephen to cast the deciding vote on uh, on the title. And uh, he, was, he was adamant that Stephen would agree it's a terrible title. Stephen turned up and I said, look, I want to call it The Revenger and Unromantic Comedy. He goes, that's a brilliant title. <laughs> um, so we stuck with that. And I, I, I really liked it. And, and the thing is, I thought I was absolutely sure we were going to clear up with all the dyslexic Avenger fans. I thought, you know, this would be an amazing <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> so we'd be like, oh, I can't get into Endgame. Should we go and see, oh, let's see The Revenger yeah, instead. another screening. <laughs> um, and, and then when um, Thor... Thor Ragnarok came out. Yeah, yeah, And um, he describes himself, him and Bruce and Loki, saying, we're the Revengers. I'm like, even better. They're going to think this is a Thor (laughs) spin-off. 
but unfortunately, <laughs> the um, the US uh, sales agent Myriad, they they just felt it it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna float. So they said, look, we want to change the title. They came up with a bunch of names, and and for level money was my preferred one of the ones they did. I mean, it's obviously been done a lot of times. I mean, obviously the Michael J. Fox film. I think there was a Kirk Douglas film from the fifties, mm. same name. But you know what? It's it's not a bad title. Um, I still think the Revenge is good, and I had a whole bunch of hood. We we had hoodies made for the entire cast and crew, uh, which I guess they're now collectors' items. Yeah, yeah, there there is that. Yeah, and, it, and it, I guess it, it's nice to have a little inside kind of joke kind of story yeah. with everyone at work from the thing. I still think the Revenger would have been a, <laughs> a better title. But that's that's what it is. So yeah, it's, it then changed to For Love or Money and that became the, the new title and we stuck with it for the UK release because it came out in America in March. Um, it did quite well there. So it, we'd already drummed up some publicity for it so it didn't make sense to change. Uh, especially, you know, once upon a time when there'd be a completely different release pattern and mm. marketing strategy fine, but I think as everything's so online now, you want one Facebook page, one Instagram yes. page, you don't want to be uh, chopping and changing. Yeah, it kind of muddies the water. Ma- makes it yeah. confuses people a bit. So we kept the, I managed to keep the unromantic comedy, it sort of gets a little bit sort of well, it's not even on the, oh no it is on the first page, yes, just above Sam's head. Uh, but that became more of a tagline than a title. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah. So, goodbye, Revenger. Hello, full of money. <laughs> like, how many titles did they give you? They gave me like three or four, and I'm trying to remember because their problem was that they said it doesn't sound like a romantic comedy. And I'm like, well, that's why it's got an unromantic comedy in the title to make sure it specifically sounds like an. But um, they they came up with uh, the sweetest revenge, and I'm like. No. That sounds like Amanda Sante should be in it or something, you know. It's yeah. it's, it's like, uh, how is that any more comedy or? I mean, I, I I get it probably is, but I was like, no, that's. And also f- for me, what I didn't like is, and I guess the Revenger, very much dwells in it, but. And some of the other titles were even further than that. I didn't want it seem like this was a, a film about bullying, uh, because obviously, it it would be very easy to. Um, uh, mistake the character as being misogynistic or a bully and that's something especially in this day and age that it was very important that that's you know we didn't want that and so for love or money i thought was a pretty safe um title in terms of it really did fit with the the premise of the film i mean that is after all what connie's at you know um you know what is her agenda is it is she doing it for the love or is she doing it for, for the money mm. um, so i was like nah that's that's the safe bit you know yeah Although I, I I think we're getting a bit too PC, you know what I mean? Because you know, in relationships they can get weird like that. You know what I mean? Where one person's in it more than the other, or for certain reasons. So it on on the surface it can look like a little bullying, a little using situation, and things like that. But if you peel things back a bit, it's a bit more complex than that. But, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I hope comes across in the film. Um, but, of course, as you know, a lot of people, you know, will, will give their judgment on a film without even seeing it, you know, just cool. what they suspect it's going to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, as, a, as a smaller film, we don't have the marketing clout of, of one of the sort of majors that can sort of weather that storm. So, yeah, there's, 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 a, there's a new kind of um, um, 
level of, of, of obstacles that has now sort of come into filmmaking. You know, some some of them are, are, are for very good reasons, but it does. I mean, you know, when writing scripts, you do sort of now find yourself thinking of things you probably weren't thinking of before. Like, is this going to be offensive to someone? Uh, because the it's now now everyone has a voice on some platform or another. Someone's going to be offended by something. It's just like, well, you know, is it worth giving, you know, going down that route, or is this going to end up backfiring? So yeah, it's it's a new world. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay, so when um you know you cast everyone, like, did you have certain people in mind? Like, what was the whole process of that? Um. Yeah, I mean, so. When writing the script, I think there was only. May well, when I originally wrote the script, it was it was basically about a, a, a sort of true story that happened a long, long time ago. But it wasn't about romance. It was mm. it's actually a business dealing that went very sour. Right, right. And to sort of move on from it, to sort of cathartically get over it, I decided to write the script called The Revenger. But I decided I'm not going to make it about business or whatever. I'm going to make it about a relationship yeah. in, in, in like a, in a romance situation. And um, the people I had in mind then uh, weren't, you know, this is like then 10 years later, weren't really the right people for it anymore. Um, but when we got the green light and we continued to develop the script, there were one or two people, in particular Tony Way, who I was like, he's the guy we need for Tim. So he was definitely, you know, my first choice, and you know, we got him, and that was that was fantastic. Um, and then with the others, um, I sat down with the casting agent, and she basically went away for a week and then came back with a long list of names for each uh, character. And said, "Look, this is who we think we should we should be approaching," um, and all of the people that we got were on that list. Um, and um, I, 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 you know, I was surprised that we, you know, I don't want to say we got them so quickly, but normally with the casting process in, with the previous films, it's taken so much longer. Mm. I mean, that's that's the nightmare of this. It it's weird. Casting is sometimes the most interesting and exciting part of the filmmaking process because that's right at the start so anything can happen and of course whichever actor you get is going to change the film i mean you know if you got uh laurence olivia playing the terminator it'd be a completely (laughs) different (laughs) film but it could be quite an interesting one um so it it changes the dynamic uh accordingly uh so uh rob was based in la he he kind of he quite liked the script so he um basically recorded a couple of scenes on tape and i was like you know, this guy's. When when you get actors doing um, uh, putting something down on tape, um, what they sometimes don't realise is that the person that's reading off the t- the camera, and they may mm-hmm. just be someone like you know, I'm not an actor, so I'm just going to read whatever. Yeah. yeah they don't yeah, quite yeah. realise that the person who's watching it is also the writer and is starting to pay attention to the person off camera and thinking. Oh my God, this stinks! My script stinks because that delivery is awful. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you can yeah. be, it can be quite off-putting. But Rob did it, and um, his performance was so spot on. I didn't even pay any attention to uh, the other person reading from. Uh, once we got him, I mean, it, it it really becomes the anchor, the the sort of linchpin. When you when you get your main actor, it starts getting very easy to to build around that. Mm. Um, and, and the others all came in very quickly and, and normally it takes three, four, five months and I think we did this in 
less than two okay. once we we got rob on board and then sam was interested and uh, it was just a bit of a uh, complicated process sorting out her schedule but uh yeah so i lucked out and I, I think the cast in this is perfect and i think especially rob and sam have this great chemistry together um so yeah we were very lucky and i was very lucky that um you know i didn't have to go down to my 13th or 14th choice it's basically <laughs> from the get-go so yeah it's very happy Ah, no, that's good. Let me a, a question that I've always wondered is when you cast someone that isn't based in the country or area, like, and then it's agreed. Okay, yeah, we're gonna have you in the film. So, do you then have to pay to fly them into the country, yeah. or is that just part of the wage they get for the film? No, no. Um, okay, so their wage is their wage for acting. If they're out of the country at the time then yeah you have to sort of pay their expenses on top annoyingly for me and i'm not going to say i'm not going to say who but it was uh on uh, that film um it was uh the big name in that he was actually in the country at the time when we got him but then he decided he wanted to go to uh, back to his other home in la um and then come back again and we were expected to pay that bill what? and it's like well hang on what's that got to do with us yeah and then they said, well, maybe it's fair you cover half. And I'm like, maybe no. it's fair we don't cover any. I mean, he's yeah. the one who's decided to go there. Jesus last Christ. So, yeah, you do, you do end up paying. Um, <laughs> and I had another one. I'm not going to say who, but someone who didn't quite get the, the amount of money that they wanted. So the agent suggested he become an exec producer on the film. I went, yeah, sure, he can have that. Um, but then it was like, so can you pay an extra you know Credit. amount for yeah, that yeah, yeah. and i'm like okay so we paid more for that and then uh, when it came time for the release uh yeah like okay so you didn't really do much for that <laughs> particular fee oh, so yeah i mean it's man. um yeah but you know what that's just just the nature of the beast i'm sure i've pulled off some uh, funny tricks as well um <laughs> but yeah expect expect to pay a whole load of things and i mean it's uh you know, one thing I did years back, um, you know, if they are based in LA, there's there's one guy, this is this is going back 15 years, and uh, it was like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've got to bring my uh, my manager, who's actually his cousin, his little entourage, because mm. they don't want to be on their own, you know, yeah. they want to go out drinking at night, and uh, um, they want to be, remo- <laughs> actually, I'm going to stop myself there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's expensive. I can yeah no I can, I can definitely imagine okay so um you know to avoid <laughs> getting into any sort of trouble let's like so the process we've got the casting and now it's the the, the filming like how long did all of that take to shoot the film uh, we had we had four weeks pre-production and four weeks filming we had about 23 shooting days which is very very tight I mean Spielberg shot catch me if you can i think in 28 but he would have had like an army yeah and everything would have been set up perfectly he would have been able to pre-light everything so he would have gone a to b to c and just you know he's obviously spielberg and he doesn't sort of faff around but uh yeah 23 days is a tight schedule um but we managed to do it and we kept it mostly contained in london uh ridley scott uh fucked us over on the last day we were filming the uh the church scenes mm, and uh we'd moved to this area in rickmansworth this beautiful kind of uh, country estate area 
and there's this beautiful church there and we're, for the very last day of filming uh, for the camping scene we'd found a spot not too far now that's the key to the whole thing if you can keep your locations you know in one area so to avoid you spending all that time moving around yeah. you'll, you'll get more time to film and um, Ridley was basically doing uh, pickup shots for uh, all the money in the world Nothing to do with, you know, you know who. It was um, that it was it was the scene with uh, Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams uh, in the phone booth somewhere. And this particular village had this very old-looking garage, sort of like 60s, 70s based, right? And hadn't sort of changed since. So it's like perfect location for them to to be there. So if I'm doing a telephone booth shot, I can go there with ten people and just you know stand off the road on the pavement. Ridley pretty much closed down the whole village. Yeah. So we, we were based over here <laughs> and we had to drive five minutes to get, you know, that was our unit base. We'd been filming the big scenes with uh, Connie's family. Yeah. And yeah, the yeah. church was up here and the camping thing was there. But we couldn't get up there because he had literally closed those roads down. And oh. it's like, you bastard. You absolute bastard. <laughs> so we, fortunately, by the, um, at the location we're already at, in fact, here was the unit base. Here's like a little country path. And here was this big kind of field. We were like, we'll just do it there. Oh, my God. Um, but that could have been a nightmare because that happened at the last minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, you know, what are the chances? But if... Because <clears throat> obviously you'd already got filming permission to do what you were doing. Well, we'd, we were on private land when we'd got the permission. So this... this here was the church and there's this pub here. And we were using this sort of back lot here, which was this great big fieldy area with you know, big trees and everything. And we had basically like 270 degrees of like, you know, it was all clear. There was yeah. just trees and whatever. Uh, when the road closed down, because we didn't have any need to get permission for the roads. It was just for access. Right. Yeah. And yeah, when yeah, the roads yeah, closed yeah. down, basically the council were like, you're going to find it hard to get there. And then the pub said, look, sorry we can't you know let you use it because we're not coming in um so it was like great so yeah had we been using public space then it would have been a case of they would have told ridley he couldn't do it Um, right okay but yeah but yeah when 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 he has uh the budget he does he sort of beats me in that battle so uh, yeah maybe next time we'll see i'm gonna follow him around on his uh, locations and start start being a problem well i think mean, your film probably has made more than me free added publicity thanks to kevin spacey i mean i didn't have any actors in mind with any uh, assault charges i mean just think of all the publicity i'd have got well you should have got you should have got samantha a little drunk sent her out and said yeah. have some fun yeah. <laughs> but that's interesting that the camping was the last thing to shoot yeah. because that's not like the last scene of the no. film it's it's all this so the first three um uh first three weeks it was basically we're filming in and around london so up in uh, the flat was the first week i think and that was up in uh, sort of kentish town area right. then we moved over we tried to keep it west london as much as we could um and um uh then for the last week it was a case of yep go on out get outside of the town and do all the kind of um 
sort of countryside stuff. Um, and uh, it, we were lucky because obviously it wasn't raining, and uh, I think the previous couple of weeks it had been. So <laughs> we were sort of slowly getting nerves at that point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that was that's how it all sort of. Obviously, I don't I don't know if that's what Ridley Scott was planning on doing, just waiting for me to go there. But <laughs> that's how it turned out. Right, I have to say one of my my favorite bits of the film was um, when they'd gone to Connie's parents. Mm. And uh, the scenes with Tim. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Tim, Tim gets lucky, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's um, that's a bit of a gear change for the film. Yes. Uh, and, and, and from test audience reactions, that was equally everyone's most, you know, that was their favourite scene. And, and for a few people, their least favourite scene, probably for obvious reasons. Um but yeah, it, it it's that's definitely the OTT moment of the film, and, mm. and we had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, there were a lot of things in the original script that we started taking out because it was just like, nah, that's not funny, that's just gross. And originally, um, the main character, Mark, was setting that moment up, oh. and he was going to be hiding in the cupboard and filming it and releasing it as a porn film on the internet but right, then we thought right. no that again is a little bit too kind of rapey so we thought no this is this has to be about <laughs> consent and this has to be about a moment between these characters and not about and also that then allowed us to have what then happens with the mark yeah. character but yeah no that was that was fun and, and it sort of stemmed from the fact that when we got anna chancellor on board we, re we realized we had to really beef that that part up yeah um, yeah, yeah yeah so but i i to me, I think it probably works better as the way you finally did it. Because having him in the closet kind of thing, it I don't know. Obviously, the, the, the lead up to that would have been different. But it would have just, I don't know. It kind of seemed that it, from the film that you see now, to include something like that, it would seem a bit more forced kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and I think also the film would have started lagging because it would have just been a continuation of, of where it had been and the story needed to move on mm, um mm. so yeah it's it's it, i mean it that 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 sort of particular scene found its feet fairly early on in in in, in the writing process but um yeah it's it is one of my favorite favorite scenes in that um, yeah because you don't expect like there's one bit the, the, the one aspect of the situation you think okay yeah i kind of see what this could go in that way yeah and then the last bit happens you're like didn't see that bit. <laughs> yeah. Didn't see that yeah. one. <laughs> we, were, we were lucky to find a costume that fitted, to be honest. Um, but yeah, because Ivan K is a big chap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, um, yeah, Ivan K. I, I, I'd, I'd, that was the second film I'd worked with him, and um, and I think deep down he was very happy to to be in a situation where he could wear a maid's outfit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've just been waiting all these years for that opportunity, and here it is. Um, well, it's yeah. a bit different to Vikings. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, you know, on, on that note, I'd like to say screw you, Ivan, because uh, on the previous film, uh, I'm a massive Vikings film, mm. I didn't know what was happening, what his character did to a, you know, the uh, main character. 
And he goes, oh, look at these photos. This is just after I've killed, you know, screw it, killed Ragnar Rothrock. Um, you know, if it was ruined for me, I'm, I'm like, if you haven't seen it yet, you know. Uh, oh, no, so, someone ruined it for me. Uh, I, mean, I was talking to them and it's like, oh, George Vikings, like, oh, Vikings is great. I'm like, I'm I'm just on season Burr. And she's like, oh, right. <laughs> is that the yeah. one before he dies? <laughs> yeah. And then she's like, yeah, next time I'm watching the thing, Ragnar has just been killed. I'm like. Yeah. What's wrong with you? I just told you I'm not there. Yeah. Well, it's like the the season hadn't even been released when Ivan told me that, and it's like, oh. come on, man, come on. Um, so I was I was in a bit of a funny kind of place that I knew an exclusive, but yeah. at the same time, Ragnar's dead. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'm gonna find out what Ivan really likes, and then uh, try and get some advanced information and tell him. Um, <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, one thing I was wondering because, like, at the beginning of the film, um, we have a time jump. Yeah. Um, and like, so I was just curious: was there any um kind of thought of showing? the initial stages of the relationship so you could see how Connie has kind of really kind of got Mark tied yeah. up around her. Um, yeah. I mean, the problem is, I mean, that's, 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 you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And, and when the budget's limited, mm. you, you get to be like, right, we only get a certain amount of setup. So it's yes. like, okay, so what are we going to do to make this one work? is right from the get-go have Mark like a little, you know, lapdog, whatever, and just like putty in her hand. So no matter what she says, you know he's going to go with it. I'd have liked to have seen a little bit more of their relationship growing. It was just really, I think, I think there's maybe one or two other scenes we had planned, but it was just, it was, you know, if, if, if we were hoping that if we got to a certain point in the filming stage, if we had... You know, if we're slightly ahead, we were going to try and fit a couple of those moments in. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's just never happening. And I'm not blaming Ridley Scott for that one. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so we were, um, we were like, okay, we're going to have to make that one work in the editing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a huge deal, but it was just one of those things that you kind of, I wondered yeah. wh when watching. I was like, oh, I, oh, I wonder how... But yeah, it was just one of those things. I wouldn't say that it killed the film. It's, it's like when, when I was talking to Tony, Tony was in um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which is David Fincher, one of my favourite film directors of all time. And, um, and, you know, Tony was telling me about the, the process of working with, with, with Fincher, and it was like, yeah, we did this one particular shot like 120 times or something like that. Maybe not 120, but probably not but far a, off. Yeah, but more and than I was you like, may have done that I shot. get three yeah. <laughs> shots, you know. I would love to have that kind of time to play with. Mm. And that's the thing, you know. I mean, yeah, the next film, got to have five, six weeks to film with. And then you start getting to say, okay, those shots that really, you know, cement the scenes together, that sort of make the story flow a little smoother those you then have time to start saying yeah let's let's get the extra shots of uh of rob and sam sort of you know in the park or you know sort of building that relationship more you get to really work on the the, the yeah. characters and their, their, their yeah. stories um it, it's definitely a thing it's just like going 
talking to different directors and producers, actors about the films they've been on and they're currently doing. And like, yeah, when you speak to someone from a really big project and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we shot it and it's this many days. And and when you're speaking to people on a, a, a lot shorter budget, an indie type film, the difference is just crazy. And, and, and But you do have to say though, like the finished project, it's still good. It's not like you watch like the the smaller films and go, eh, yeah, it just looks like a camcorder. It looks like it still looks really good. So it's kind of really impressive that you can still do so much with such a limited budget and time schedule. Well, you have to really, because at the end of the day, um, even though Avengers Endgame, as an example, would have like a budget two three hundred times more than mine <laughs> the fact is you are still going to pay the same amount for it when you download it from itunes or amazon or whatever you know yeah. it's still going to or you go to the cinema it's, you don't pay any more for the ticket it's mm. still as the consumer you're still paying the same amount so you've got to have a certain standard i guess where you know you're going to get a certain amount of quality of course you know i'm sure and I, I have no doubt that even on the big films they still have problems to deal with you know like how to spend their enormous paychecks but um, <laughs> the, the fact, and, and this is a great learning lesson for you know filmmakers who 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 do this. You know, is you, you've got to be creative with how you deal with these things, and, and think, okay, well, I don't have the money to do that. So how are we going to tell the story mm. in a way that doesn't feel like we're cutting corners? And, and I think you know I did that on previous films, and, and it showed. Um, but you learn from them, and you become yes. better, and then you know hopefully you get bigger and better projects. Uh, as, as you move on, but yeah, that's that's the skill of it. And you know, you look at these these um, the directors for these like you know these big Hollywood films now, and Hollywood's really just taking people who are doing films like this, you know, the three four million mm. dollar range, and suddenly they're doing the two hundred million dollar dollar films. You know, these are directors that have, have come out of nowhere, and I d- I don't know if that's partly because you know the studios don't want to be going down the nightmare route of uh, working with people like Brian Singer who you know will spend 200 million on a superman returns <laughs> and has the authority to say to the execs no I'm Brian Singer this is my film they're like oh, all right um and then it's like well this film sucks Brian but you know they want a director who can say well this is our money this is our you know our franchise you know we you know keep your ego out of it kind of thing um i guess i'll never work with Brian Singer now but um <laughs> That's Brian might not have any work. <laughs> no, I know. It seems he's getting dropped from a lot of stuff. Yeah, of late, I I so. wonder why. Um, yeah, like maybe you could get him on your next project to make your tea and stuff. Yeah. Like you might get down to that. I might get a few complaints if I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. But uh, and I think that's that's but also not just because of you know that, but yeah. uh, also because you know the, the the directors that are coming from this where they're not kind of um, um, sort of very kind of relaxed about the spend, you know, that they, they, they're, they're thinking about how to get the best product. Yes. And then you go onto these things and they, you know, they deliver. But then again, when you spend 200 million on a film, I can't even imagine <laughs> that. Yeah, I, I mean, sometimes I think most of that is must be post-production. Like, you know, CGI and sound stages and... Yes. Oh, yes. Certain actors, you know, in the packet that they're going to be. I mean, if you look at the Harry Potter films, you go on IMDb and you look at those budgets, they start off the first three at around 125-ish, 150. Mm. And all of a sudden, Goblet of Fire goes up to 250. Yeah. Now, 
that's not because it suddenly looks any better than the rest. They no. look much the same. But I guarantee you a lot of people were on a three-picture contract to get them on the continuation. Oh, yeah. And that's not just actors. That's producers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Suddenly sure. that pay, and, and justifiably if it's been making that, that much, you know, but then they start to say, you know, mm. uh, show me the money, kind of yeah. thing, you know, and they well, get it. Yes, was, that's why you then saw suddenly when Marvel started to make their films that I think they were one of the first studios to tie people into like six, eight film deals because you weren't seeing that before. You were seeing people getting tied down to maybe two, three, and then it was, sometimes it wasn't even free. So they'd be like, oh, we're going to make a trilogy. You haven't signed them down for free? So then the first film makes a bang lot of money and then they're trying to get the actor who now wants a whole lot more and you get into problems like that. So well, that's why Terence Howard was dropped from Iron Man. Yeah. I mean, the first one, he got paid more than Robert Downey Jr. Mm. And wanted more. So they're like, uh, yeah, hang on, let's just see if Don Cheadle's <laughs> available. We'll get back to you, Terence. Yeah. Um, and you know Terence is kicking himself for yeah. that. Yeah, that well. was just a... His, I don't know, what, he had hustle and flow? And nothing, nothing. I, st- I still don't know how he got paid more than Robert Downey Jr. In the first I, I think, I think Downey, I think Downey was coming off all of the drug stuff. Well, he'd done Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and things, but so that he was, still had that kind of. Yeah, uh, but I think Kiss Kiss was it was an indie type film, yeah. wasn't it? So it was still a low. I think it was probably still a low budget. He still had a bit of stink on him with the drug yeah. stuff. So I think studios are like, oh, it could be problematic. And I think the opportunity when someone says, look, leading role in a big action film is like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll take it. I mean, like Joan Hill took. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street for about $60,000. Mm. Um, I'd love to get him on a wife for $60,000. I can afford that. Um, but yeah, sometimes when the role is that mm. kind of enticing, they'll do it. But yeah, Terrence Howard, yeah, kicking himself in the Oh, shoulder. God damn it, yeah. But, you know, if he wants to do a, a film with me, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm safe. Well, I, it's funny. You're, you're kind of seeing now more, um, like, big mainstream actors do indie stuff and to kind of differentiate what they're doing and jumping into kind of the smaller things well, sometimes. Doing, also doing TV. I mean, mm. TV used to be like um, like the graveyard. Yeah. Uh, and now it's like the launch pad. It's, um, you know, not just for, for, for actors, but directors as well. I mean, look at the new Bond film directed by, I think it was, it was Narcos, one of the Narcos directors. Mm. Um and but yeah so it's uh especially with now everything being released online it's sometimes you know that you never know what's gonna sort of tap into the zeitgeist and become a massive hit and so you you just can't turn no to say no to things now it's uh too risky yeah but we're seeing i think the level of production and the quality of the product has drastically changed because like back in the day i just remember you could see the difference between an episode of casualty and a film you know in like the filters they use and stuff like that and now the the, like i think viewing wise when you look at tv and you look at film they look more aligned than what they used to still see the difference between an episode of EastEnders and uh, and a film but yeah the American TV for sure they throw money at the writing they throw money at the production yes values. and yeah I mean 
you know, most most uh, American TV episodes have more money than most British films. Yeah, well, game look like especially that HBO stuff, like yeah. Deadwood. Yeah, I mean that supposedly was the reason that it kind of got cancelled. Well, it's too expensive. Yeah, I yeah. mean it was like a million, just over a million an episode. And then, like, Game of Thrones, the money on that, Sopranos, yeah. like, all those shows, just so much money every it's episode. It's going now. It's yeah. It's going. Yeah. But it, it always baffles me because it's like they want to make so many episodes. If they did the BBC route and yeah. did six episodes, you'd have tight stories. But sometimes, it's just, I, I just watched the last season of Jessica Jones, right. 13 episodes. It's a bit baggy. It's a half season. Yeah, you know, it fits in with. I mean, it's the American style of doing it, and also it's franchisable. Yeah, and that's where they. Uh, yeah, half thirteen episodes is half the season, I think, and uh, so yeah. Yeah, because it's you like I think The Office was usually twenty six parts, and Red yeah. was twenty six. Uh, yeah, but they'll they'll split it in uh, two parts. Yeah, so, so yeah, well maybe I'll get one of those one day. <laughs> hey, like um, oh gosh, I forget the, the guy's name. But he directed um for Dark Dark World. He came off of yeah, he um, Alan, um yes. Yeah, and you're seeing a lot of that. Yeah. And like Mark Webb went and did Spider Man. So like, hey, you you never know. We got yeah. Phase Four is getting um announced pretty soon. So eh, jump on one of those. Like they're, they're stealing my opportunities. <laughs> yeah. Um, with the with the relationship on the film of um Johnny and Connie, yeah, Piers, like, was there any thought of kind of explaining that? It did need it. It did need it. Um, because their relationship is he likes her, she yes. doesn't like him. But it does seem a bit vague. But yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say sometimes it's nice to leave something up for the imagination. I think that should have been explained a bit more. But again, it was finding the right opportunity yeah. to do it. And, and without sort of, that's the danger sometimes in situations. It can feel like you're saying, hey, audience, you probably don't know this. So we're going to put a flag in it. And if you do that, then the audience is like, are you calling me dumb? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's tricky. But yeah, I, retrospectively, I'd have liked to have maybe clarified that a little bit more but that's the thing mm. sometimes you can say things in the edit and then sometimes it's just like nah it's not there it's yeah yeah i mean again it, it's it's not one of those things that you're just like well that ruined the film for me i'm out i'm completely out of the zone now i it, it's but you can you kind of figure it out but you're still a bit like oh wait are they are oh, exes or what yeah. you 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 wonder but you you kind of get the you you know that yeah he fancies her she doesn't want to do anything with him but it's just the fact that he's convinced her to do the plan and so it's like oh how did how is that when it's like the but yeah it's not a yeah, a huge thing. It's one of those things that we sat on and thought, okay, we're going to have to let this one just ride and yeah. hopefully the audience yeah, won't yeah, be yeah. too focused on it. It's like a sort of side part anyway, but yeah. And it's sort of the same with, um, I thought with the Kendra situation, that I'd have liked to have brought her into the film earlier. Um, mm. But I think in the end it sort of worked out with her coming in where she does. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think it's too much because like we understand you know what I mean she the relationship yeah. of her so you'd be like 
having her around before kind of like it's not really that overly yeah. essential yeah. kind of thing you it, it works how it how it turns yeah, out exactly and the thing with a comedy especially a, rom- a romantic comedy you want to keep it around 95 minutes comedy. an unromantic <laughs> comedy doesn't give you any extra minutes so you've got to keep it around the 95 minutes mm. mark otherwise it becomes I mean yeah it becomes very flaccid and you don't want it to be uh, sort of droning on so I mean as it was we were cutting stuff down just to sort of fit that that time anyway but yeah that's that's part of the learning curve, but I think I think it comes off, and I think you know it's um, at least by the end, I think everyone's sort of clear whose intention is what. Yes. Um, yeah, I kind of felt that if like people that pr- liked things like um, the wedding video, um, oh, I give it a year. Yeah. Like f- if you're if you're a fan of films like that. I think you'd definitely be a fan of your film. You know, I think it, it fits in with um, that vein of things, like yeah. confetti and, you know what I mean? Like th- those sort of films. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you've got an audience for sure. Well, as long as we find that audience and they sort of find us, I think there'll be a happy marriage. Um, but yeah, it's just about letting them know that, hey, give this one a shot, you know. Um, mm. Stay away from those Brian Singer films. <laughs> I don't think he's a subscriber of the podcast, so I think you'll be okay for now. He's probably also a bit busy in court, anyway. So <laughs> I don't think he can uh, afford more time to do uh, any more legal cases. Um, so do you have a new project i have a couple that we're pushing at the moment uh i'm speaking to some producers in america um and um i'm hoping in the next month or two we'll be able to say okay this is the one that we want to sort of push on um so yeah i think i'm going to stick with the the old comedy genre and um you know fingers crossed touch wood uh and we'll see how flom does uh when it comes out here as well because that'll obviously yeah, help us decide mm, mm. Uh, where to go next. Yeah, uh, one one quick thing just before we uh, we end stuff. But um, when you're making a film like this, or you know any other comedy, or just anything within a certain genre, when you do you like write the script and go, "Yep, no, I like this. This is funny," but then check to see if there's other similar things out there to make sure that you're not too similar to blah and blah and blah. To be honest, I mean, it's... I mean, yeah, I'm a massive film fan, so I'm usually aware of whether there's something blatantly similar. But you can never tell, and there's always someone who's going to say, oh, this is just like that. And it's like, well, there are millions of films. Mm. So inadvertently, you're always going to make something that's you know going to have connections in some way or another um but i haven't re- i don't think i've ever gone down the route of like yeah i've finished the script this is great and someone said no that is way too similar to yeah you just to that's four one. weddings too just yeah, no it's not happening. yeah um i wanted to make uh, titanic 2 where <laughs> the boat hits the iceberg and the iceberg sinks but ah, um, plot yeah. twist yeah it could be cheaper <laughs> as well uh, <laughs> But uh, no, so far, I mean, yeah, when you're writing, you think you, you do have to kind of think, OK, is anything like that? But unless anything jumps out at you as being obviously similar, then you think, all right, well, fingers crossed, it's uh, 
it's not so um but yeah there's always going to be people saying oh that's very much like that and it's like well watch the film and then decide but yeah you know yeah, premise, yeah, yeah, yeah you know if you sell something on the premise then there's always going to be other premises that sort of sound you know um sort of similar um, mm. but yeah I, I, I think it's unique in its uh in its story so yeah Actually, I just one last thing. Yes, it's definitely about the premise and how you're you're advertising and promoting something. But do you who writes that blurb? Like, because sometimes you'll see a film on IMBD or something like that, and and the blurb that's there it might give away a plot point or or it doesn't sell it quite right you read it and be like no the film's better than that changes. i think with with the films that we've done we've always sort of covered that bit ourselves like the log lines ourselves but yeah you do find uh, sometimes people take it upon themselves like i watched the film i liked it oh they haven't put something up there i oh, know i'll do it for them it's like that woman in spain who decided to paint that oh, thing gosh. in the church yeah it's yeah. like hey, that didn't that didn't improve <laughs> things um but yeah usually it's yeah the film studio production company whatever take it upon themselves and you know handle that themselves right if you right. don't someone else will then it's like oh dear mm. so. yes okay mark well thank you very much for your time this has been really interesting and great um is there a social media people can follow to yeah. find out? Um, basically, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook all have the same handle, which is Flom, as in for love or money, Flom Movie. Uh, so if you go to Facebook, Flom Movie, you'll find us. Or even put in for love, or, for love and money, or money. So <laughs> I should get my title right. <laughs> what film did I just make? Um, yeah, so you, you'll find us there. And of course, uh, yeah, film comes out, what was it, the 8th of July? Yes. Got that one right. Um, but yeah. From movie, and uh, then you'll find us. And we we'll always put on like deleted scenes and a few other little, you know, bits and pieces as well. So it's something for everyone. Splendid. Well, when you have your next project, hopefully we can have a conversation about that. Thank you very much, man. Thank you. Cheers. Okay, so yeah, I hope. Um, I hope you found, you know, the review interesting and the interview. I, I was really happy to be able to speak with Mark because I was able to kind of answer some of the questions that came up in the review, you know. So that was really good. And um, yeah, it was it was just really interesting sitting down with him. So um, yeah, as, as I said, look... If you're a fan of a romantic comedy, I mean, even this is an unromantic comedy, I would say, yeah, you should check it out because you will probably like it. You know, uh, you know, it, it, it's similar to the films mentioned. So, you know, the the wedding video, um, I give it a year, you know, stuff like that. If that's your bag, then... Hey, you will dig this. Probably even like stuff like Crazy Rich Asians as well, you know? So yeah, check it out. And um, hopefully we can talk with Mark when his next project is uh, coming along. But, you know, we are reaching the end of another episode. So um, let's hit a little film news before we b -b bounce um so outdoing press 
for um, his new film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Quentin Tarantino has been just talking about his career and he's reaffirmed the fact that he is planning to retire after making 10 films. So the 10th film will be the next after Once Upon a Time. Um, But yeah, so it kind of makes you wonder what will that film be? Because, you know, there's been word of late that he's, um, you know, got a Django Unchained film that will have Django team up with Zorro. And there's also, you know, there's also been the talk of him doing a Star Trek film that picked up a bit more steam when, um, you know, the, the last Star Trek film got cancelled because of contracts with Chris Pine and um, Chris Hensworth. So, yeah, it's interesting. Like, what will be Tarantino's 10th film? And if he's giving up, you know, filmmaking, what would he do next? Well, he had this to say um, in a Collider interview. I think when it comes to theatrical movies, I've come to the end of the road. I see myself writing books and starting to write theatre. So I'll still be creative. I just think I've given all I have to give to movies. Which then takes away the possibility of maybe him, you know, producing rather than directing. So yeah, it's interesting. And he also has said that... If Once Upon a Time is really successful, maybe bows out early on the high. But yeah, I guess it's one of those things that we will have to wait and see. Because Once Upon a Time opens on the 26th of July. So uh, yeah, we'll see how that film is received. Uh, Words has come out that Vanessa Kirby... Um, I think people might remember her from her performance in the last Mission Impossible film. And she's going to be in the upcoming Hobbs and Shaw Fast and Furious spin-off. Well, word is that she's being courted for the role of Selena Kyle, Batwoman, in Matt Reeves' upcoming The Batman. Um... Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of time before this goes into production. So, you know, who knows if this will actually happen. Because there's still supposedly a lot of um, casting that hasn't been done. You know, like there's reports that the Penguin, the Riddler and Two-Face will be appearing. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. But I think Vanessa Kirby would be a definitely a different take on that character who's been in the past played by Michelle Pfeiffer, Eartha Kitt and Halle Berry. Um, Bond 25, that's currently in production in the UK and um, it has now got its composer. Dan Roma has uh, just come on board to score the film and um, this is great because Dan composed one of my favorite films um he did the music for a spectacular movie 
the people if you haven't seen it you definitely need to check it out it's beasts of the southern wild and it's a magnificent film it's a magnificent film set in new orleans and dan did the the the, the music for that so um he's also done music for things such as a typical um on netflix the good doctor far cry 5 the little hours zoe and a plethora of other things so um yeah you know who knows what the film will be like but at least i think we can be assured that the music will be good and uh finally um you know there's been a lot of talk about Disney's um, live action <sighs> adaptation of The Little Mermaid. You know, they seem to be doing it with all their great animation of late. And I wonder if we're going to get a live action Toy Story at some point. But, um, yeah, I think we've got our Ariel. Um, supposedly, Haley. Bailey, Haley Bailey of Chloe X Haley has been cast as Ariel, which eh, is fine. It's fine. I am getting a little bit tired of this lazy diversity kind of push, though. It's just like, let's remake a film. Oh, and let's cast someone of ethnicity in the in the lead role instead of a white person. It's just a bit lazy, people. Just a bit lazy. And how about let's create new properties? Yeah, that's what I want to see. But, but you know, I've 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 gone on about this for a, a lot. Anyway, but um, yeah, Rob Marshall is um, you know. He's behind this film. Um, and other people that are on the cast. Jacob Tremblay. Aquafina, And Melissa Carf- McCarthy is possibly going to be playing Ursula. So, um, yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda is doing the music with Alan Minken. So, um yeah that is it people for this week's echo chamber um enjoy films next week will be the spider-man review i didn't want to put it in this week because you know we we've got the interview and i try and keep these podcasts short so uh yeah enjoy films people and i will see you next week peace